heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Voice of a Nation. I'm Wally Garneau of the Voice of a Nation production team. And I've got a show for you today you are not going to want to miss. I'm going to start out making an economic prediction for next year. I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm not going to talk about the election. I am going to talk about the economy next year, what I think is going to happen and why. I'm then going to talk about longer-term economic headwinds that we're facing. Specifically, I'm going to talk about what's going to happen possibly next year, more likely in 2025 between China and Taiwan and why that matters for the U.S. economy. And then I want to talk about a Harvard poll, specifically what the Harvard poll tells us about those who are 18 to 24, which is both college age and perhaps more ominously, that's also military age. 18 to 24 would be an army rank all the way up to about captain on the officer side. And on the enlisted side, you're talking staff sergeant level. So everybody on up to those levels, uh, many of them or even the majority of them at this point are going to be in this age group. Uh, The Marine Corps, they tend to get rank a little bit slower, but they tend to get responsibility a little bit sooner. So it's a little different than the Marine Corps. And of course, the Air Force and the Navy have completely different ranks. But same basic thing across all the branches. People up to mid-level manager, uh, both enlisted and officer, at this point are going to fit into that age group and are going to be what you would say are members of that poll. So we're going to go over that. That won't be until after the break. Uh, Probably going to do next year's economic thing before the break. I'll probably start talking about 2025, and then uh, we'll do that afterwards at the end. So starting, let's talk about what's going to happen next year in the economy. The first thing is, talk about exactly where we are on the economy. Uh, The M2 money supply peaked in July of 2022. Since then, it's been dropping, and it dropped until April of 2023. So from July 2022 until April of 2023, uh, we saw the M2 money supply dropping. And it dropped, depending on which how, how exactly you measure it, it's either the largest drop ever or it's the largest drop since the Great Depression. It's also either one of a handful of drops between now and the Great Depression. There have not been many. Or it's the only drop in the M2 money supply since uh, the Great Depression. Uh, Again, it depends on how exactly you're measuring it. There are multiple ways that the M2 money supply can be measured. So depending on how you measure it, you get multiple results there. Point is, it doesn't happen very often. And generally, when we see a drop in the M2 money supply, about 11 months later, we see a recession. As a matter of fact, if we go by the measurement where it's happened multiple times between now and the Great Depression, this being the largest, then we would say that there has been a recession Every single time that it has dropped over the last hundred years, at least, uh, about about 11 months later. Not exactly 11 months, anywhere from uh, about nine months to about two years. So we are well within that window of where we might see uh, a recession hit if we believe that old trends are going to continue on into the future. I'm not convinced it means that, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. But that's the first thing, is that the M2 money supply has dropped, and it's actually been the largest drop since the Great Depression. 
Uh, how much has it dropped? Well, it's dropped about a trillion dollars. And of course, we added more than $2 trillion during the uh, during COVID-19. So we added a tremendous amount of money all at once. Now we've seen a retraction of the money supply of about half that. Over that time period, incidentally, the economy has grown by about a trillion dollars. So now we're right back where we were before. And you might look at that and say, well, that's a good thing. That means that we finally now have a cap on inflation. We can expect a nice steady foundation and and we can do what the Federal Reserve is, is predicting, which is that we will not see a recession next year. As a matter of fact, the Federal Reserve gives us a 0% chance of a recession next year. Uh, so we should have a nice soft landing and, and a nice smooth recovery as we continue to enjoy Biden's economy. Uh, if you look at what CEOs say, and we'll get into this a little bit too, 84% of American CEOs think we are going to see a recession next year. I think that they're right. We'll get into that. Now, it dropped until April of 2023, I said. It's actually been flat since then, which is very interesting because you would think that that means that the dropping has stopped. But that's not really true because uh, the Federal Reserve also runs a repo market, which is where if you have assets and you want to get cash, excuse me, if you have cash and you want to get assets, you can put those assets into the Federal Reserve's repo market with the promise of buying them again later. Normally, there is nothing in the repo market. Something gets put in there temporarily, gets pulled out, but for the most part, the repo market is at zero. But the repo market, with all of the extra cash, cheap money that has been flying around since 2008, Companies parked a lot of money, not companies, mostly banks, parked a lot of money into the repo market. And as a consequence, the repo market had tons of money in it. Well, that was getting drawn, that, that was, that was started getting drawn down. And, uh, and that's, that's been getting drawn down now since uh, April of 2023. So when the M2 money supply stopped dropping, the repo market, which was, which was artificially elevated, that began dropping. And the reason that happened is because the yield curve between federal treasury marks and what companies could make in the repo market, those flipped. For a long time, banks and, and companies could make more money, or banks could make more money in the repo market. Now they can make more money parking their excess reserves in federal treasury notes. So now they're buying treasury notes and selling off the repo market. And that's why the M2 money supply stopped dropping. It was because they're getting rid of the money in the repo market instead. But that's going to run dry in mid-January of 2024, which is why we're talking about this now. That's going to happen in the middle of next month, 2024, right in the middle of January. So once the repo market runs dry... Guess what's going to happen? Without the repo market to run down anymore, we're going to see the M2 money supply start to drop. The M2 money supply dropping does not necessarily cause a depression or a recession. And as I said, it's dropped by about the right amount now. When you look at the growth of the economy and the, the decline of the money supply, basically we've wiped out half of what we put in during, the, during COVID-19. And with the economy growing by about a trillion dollars, we're right about where we should be for a nice, even, stable money supply, even stable uh, uh, currency. The problem is that prices have risen about 20% over the same period. So we've actually declined the supply of money about 20% too much. And when you do that, that causes recessions. So 
I would say that the we are going to see at some point in the relatively near future, probably right around the time we see interest rates start to come down, we're going to see the entire economy go into a price discovery mode all at once, and that's going to cause a recession. Uh, CEOs, I think, most of them think we're going to get absolutely destroyed by this. And the reason is that companies have been doing a lot of what the banks have been doing. They've got all this cheap money out here. They can borrow against corporate debt, and they can put that money into federal treasury notes. They can put it into the stock market. They can invest it. So a lot of companies have been selling bonds, corporate bonds, and they have been using that cheap debt to go out and, and buy things. Well, 90% of what they bought is going to come due, is actually coming due right now, and uh, corporate debt today is $22.5 trillion, 90% of which is currently just becoming callable, which means that the holders of that debt can turn it over. They can make the companies pay it off. And about the only thing companies can do to pay that off right now is to take out more debt. The problem is the old bonds are at very low interest rates, which is why they were so tempted to take that debt in the first place. Now we're running at interest rates of about 5%. Not only that, but let's talk about what happens when you've got $33 trillion in debt and all of a sudden interest rates are north of 5% on federal, on federal debt. Well, at 5%, right now we're about 1.5, the interest on the federal debt, the national debt, is $1.65 trillion. That means that it costs us $1.65 trillion a year now to service the federal debt, the national debt. And not just that, but every percentage increase in the interest rate that we have to pay on that debt adds $250 billion to that. Now, just to compare that, $1.65 trillion a year. A few years ago, it was negligible. It was like $200 billion. Now it's $1.65 trillion with a T. Just to put that into perspective, Social Security is $1.34 trillion. Medicaid, $1.34 trillion as well. Defense spending, $774 billion with a B. Everybody talks about how much we spend on national defense as if it's a huge disgrace. It's actually less than 4% of our economy. It's about three, 2.5%, 3% of our economy. So we're not spending more as a percentage of our economy on our national defense than the most other countries do. We're actually fairly average in that regard. China's spending 20% of its GDP on national defense right now, by the way. So we're spending way less in terms of a percent of our economy than some countries. Uh, but it's a lot of money because we've got a very, very large economy. So, yeah, it's a ton of money, which is which which is great for us. We can afford to spend that much and uh, be the, the, the defenders of the free world. And it doesn't cost us that much as a percent of our economy. That's great. But to put that into perspective, again, $1.65 trillion just to service the national debt. Total revenues this year, 2023. $4.4 trillion. It's a lot of money, by the way, most of it through through uh, through taxes. Total expenditures, however, $6.1 trillion. Now, what's that? That's a deficit of $1.7 trillion. Why does that matter? Because guess where that deficit goes? That deficit's going to get thrown right back on top of our debt. So our debt now is growing by almost $2 trillion a year. So instead of owing $33 trillion at the end of 2024, we are going to owe about $35 trillion. That $35 trillion, then, if interest rates don't come down, 5% of that, 55 6% of that, that's what we're going to have to pay to service that debt. You see where I'm getting at. Right now, the single most expensive item on our federal outlays, our federal budget, it's not Social Security and Medicare anymore. It's not defense spending. Never actually was. Well, at least not since Social Security and Medicare came about. No, the number one item 
for the first time ever on our national budget, far outstripping Social Security or Medicare by themselves, are the service costs for the interest on the national debt. We are at a point now where there is no way to balance the budget. If you want to listen to Rand Paul and make the kinds of cuts he's talking about, we actually can uh, balance the, the federal budget, but there's, 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 there's no teeth in Congress to do that. Realistically speaking, we are never going to see a balanced budget again, nothing even approaching it. And with interest rates this high, I don't even know if Rand Paul could do it, to be honest with you. Point is, every single year, the only way that we are able to turn over the interest on that debt, to service the interest on that debt, and just pay the things we have to pay, just pay the, the, the most vital expenses we have, Social Security, Medicare, other vital programs, obviously defense, because we may be going to war with China. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but we just pay what we have to pay. We can't do it. The money isn't there. And we can increase rates, but how much can you increase rates? And when you increase rates, does that actually increase revenues? The fact of the matter is that if you tax the country too high, it reduces revenues. How do we know that? We know that because 2023 tax receipts, thanks to Trump's tax cuts going away and Biden making tax increases here and there and hiring 80,000 new IRS agents to harass the middle class, my family, we actually got a bill for, uh, what was it, $2,000 they said that we owed for HSA spending that, it's qualified HSA spending. I have a health savings account to help us with the uh, with with the uh, deductible on our health insurance. So that's what we paid it on. Well, the IRS came back and said, we don't believe this is qualified expenses. So uh, you have to pay the taxes on those HSA costs. Well, we had our accountant write back and say, no, they don't. Those were qualified, so I think we're okay. But I'm sure what happened there is one of those 80,000 new agents decided to come after us and try to get a little more money. So that's what's happening. 80,000 more IRS agents are looking for every nickel and dime they can squeeze out of the American people. Coming after me, they're going to be coming after you. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be coming after all of us. So, you know, thank you, Joe Biden, for that. But even with that, tax receipts are down 9% year over year. 9%. We go to recession next year, guess what happens? Tax receipts go to the floor. I mean, they really drop off in a recession. So if we hit a recession, we're going to see even lower tax receipts. And with tax revenues going down while expenses are going up, well, guess what happens to the deficit? We would be very, very fortunate to have a $1.7 trillion deficit at the end of 2024. I think going into 2025, if we don't really change course, of course, there I'm referring to the presidential election, if we don't really change course, and if we do change course, that won't be until 2025 anyway. We have the election next year, not the handover. That happens in January 2025. So at the end of next year, we're going to have more debt. We're going to have higher carrying costs. We're going to have a higher deficit, and it's going to look even worse than it does today. Uh, but right now, when you put all of these things together and you figure that the only reason that the M2 money supply isn't continuing to drop after already having dropped either the most ever or the most since the Great Depression, depending on how you look at it, we've got some pretty nasty things coming up ahead of us. Uh, our economic headwinds do not look good. And uh, my gut's telling me that we're going to go into not only a recession, but we're going to see a very, very significant downturn. And this is also happening with companies doing all these woke initiatives, you know, doing everything they can to focus on things other than profit. Well, it's easy to do that when you're making money hand over fist, but what happens to companies that have forgotten how to make money and hired people that don't know how to make money 
when a recession hits and they're not profitable. Particularly when a recession hits, they're not profitable. They fired all of the people that know how to make them profitable. You might remember the article I wrote on Disney recently. I talk about how Disney literally three years to make a movie and they don't have anything in their, they don't have anything that they're even starting to work on that is in any way ever going to make any money. So terrible place to be for, the, for not just for Disney, but for all kinds of woke companies that have put woke initiatives over their shareholders and over the profitability of their company. Well, when profits aren't so easy to come by, a lot of those corporations simply are not going to exist. And right now, 20% of the businesses in the United States, the highest number ever on record, are voodoo corporations. I wrote about that recently also, or voodoo companies. Not voodoo, I'm sorry, or zombie companies. Uh, the reason they call them zombie companies is because they have no way of ever paying off their debt. They're just like the United States when it comes to debt. The U.S. government's the biggest zombie corporation of them all. It can service its debt, it can remain in operation, but it has no way to get out of debt. Well, how many of those 20% of companies are going to fold? And these are companies like Disney, Ford, just to name a few. There's a lot of companies, 20% of all companies in, the, in America. Well, the Biden administration can try to save them if we go into, into recession. But in order to do that, what do they do? Spend trillions of dollars they don't have, putting us even further in debt and putting the American economy in even worse shape going forward. There's no way out of this. There is no way out of this. The only way to reduce carrying costs on debt is to decrease the interest rates. But if you increase, if you decrease the interest rates, we're going to start seeing inflation again. Because even though we've reduced the money supply too much, we're still under inflationary pressures. This is the Biden economy. He's been talking about how great it's going, and well, by some metrics, it looks okay. But guess what, people? Guess what? The Biden economy is about to take a massive shit right all over all of us. It's going to shit all over the, over the entire American economy. It's going to take the world economy down with it. And while I can't tell you exactly when that's going to happen, I can tell you one of the key metrics, one of the key things that's going to point to it coming up is when the repo market runs dry in mid-January 2024, not much longer now, and we see the M2 money supply starting to drop again. That's what's going to cause it. It's not actually the drop of the M2 money supply. The drop of the money supply doesn't actually do anything. That can be healthy because, as I said, we printed too much money before. But the drop of the M2 money supply is going to throw the entire economy into a period of price discovery because what's happened now is butter, eggs, all of these things, they're not changing in value. Uh, butter, eggs, gold, you know, commodities don't really change in value. What's changed in value recently, first going up and now plummeting down, is the value of the U.S. dollar. Instead of paying with greenbacks, we're paying with Biden bucks. Nobody knows what a Biden buck is really worth right now. Uh, it should be worth, I'm guessing it should be worth about 20% less, but nobody really knows with, with any certainty what a Biden buck is worth. So while we find out what a Biden buck is worth, prices are going to go into discovery mode. That always causes a recession. So hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. This is not investment advice. I'm just telling you what I think is going to happen with the economy. If you invest accordingly, now that's on you. Uh, but uh, you know, take it take it for what it is. I am predicting a massive turnaround, a massive uh, recession starting in 2024 next year before the election. Now, getting beyond 2024, starting to look out to 2025 and beyond. Everybody talks about how the S&P index is doing great, just going like gangbusters, right? Well, guess what? There's only seven companies that are going like gangbusters in the S&P 
uh, index. And it's those 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 seven companies. Actually, it's only six companies because Google counts twice. They're listed twice. Those six companies, Google listed twice to seven. That's where all the profits are. They're the only companies that are growing. If you take them out, the S&P is actually dropping, and it's dropping relatively quickly. We're talking about Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Google, and Tesla. Every one of them, by the way, is heavily invested in microchips. Amazon with their server farms. Uh, NVIDIA, obviously, that's what they do. Uh, Microsoft, more software-based, but they've also got the Xbox. Of course, you need something to run software on. Uh, Apple, we know about them. Believe it or not, 80%... Believe it or not, excuse me, all of Apple's microprocessors, not just are they built in Taiwan, but they're built in one building in Taiwan. So uh, there could be just a fire in a building and Apple's in big trouble because that, that's it. That's, that's all of their microprocessor capacity. It's, it's all coming from one building in Taiwan. So uh, there's something happening in Taiwan, incidentally, in January of next year, which is also very important for the global economy and the American economy going forward. That's happening in 2024, not 2025. 2025, I think, is going to be the hot year. It could be a little later than that. It could be earlier than that. But 2025, I think, is going to be the year when things really go hot. But the cause of it is going to happen in January of next year. Now, there are about 60 political parties in Taiwan, but like us, they only have two major ones. Uh, all the other ones are, are insignificant. Some of them have people in office here and there, but very insignificant numbers. They've got two major parties. The biggest party for a long time was the Chinese Nationalist Party. Now, this party believes in one China, as does you know, the communist government in Beijing. The difference is the Chinese Nationalist Party believes that the Republic of China, the ROC, in other words, Taiwan, is the legitimate government of China, whereas the government in Beijing, the Communist Party, they say that they are the legitimate government of China. Both of them say they are the legitimate governments of all of China, though. So the point is that both the government in Taiwan, the Chinese Nationalist Party, at least when they're running it, and the government in China... Uh, mainland, both say that there only is one China, only one legitimate government of China. Taiwan says the entire mainland is a series of rogue provinces. The mainland says that Taiwan is the only rogue province. Uh, Civil war technically in China is still going on between the the, the communists and the Republic of China, with the government now obviously in Taipei. Uh, But the other political party, the Democrat Progressive Party, which is leading in the polls, by the way, and I believe they're currently in charge, uh, they don't want a single China. They want to break off and form an independent country a- apart from mainland China. And what's significant here is that China is not going to allow that to happen. Uh, that would be a bridge too far. for China. Now, they've been in, in power before, which is why China and Taiwan relations have, have been falling off a cliff lately. Uh, you know, they used to get along pretty well. As a matter of fact, uh, Mao told Nixon that China could go without invading Taiwan with a status quo of, of a separate uh, Taiwan, but all part of one China, just separate government, that they could go with that for 100 years. And that was only about 50 years ago. What's changed is China. China became very, very rich, very, very powerful. They now have the largest navy in the world, by the way. But the one-child policy in China turned into a one 
boy policy in China. What I mean by that is people did everything they could to avoid having girls, which means that we have an entire generation of, of Chinese where almost everybody's a boy. There aren't that many girls for the boys to have babies with. And you can't breed your way out of that. If it had gone the other way and everybody wanted a girl, well, a small number of guys can... They can, they can impregnate a large number of girls, and you can breed your way out of that particular problem. Uh, kind of a, some people would say it's not a very nice thing to do, but you know, maybe fun for the guys, I don't know. Point is, if you go one way and all you have are girls, a small number of guys can impregnate large numbers of girls, and you can still, you can, you can, you can get yourself out of that. But when all you have are boys, what do you do? Girls can only have babies one at a time, so there's no way China's getting out of this. The other thing is that uh, their economy is in even worse shape than ours in terms of the debt on different companies and all. Their, their economy is in even worse shape than ours. So China's looking at this. Everybody knows China's done in the 2030s, both because their demographics are going to turn upside down and fall off a cliff, and also because their economy is going to fall off a cliff in the 2030s. So China's looking at that, and they're saying, this is really, for the next few years, the only opportunity we're ever going to have to invade Taiwan, which is why China wants to do it relatively soon. And depending on who you listen to in uh, American military circles, uh, former Chief Admiral of the Navy says it's going to be in 2027. Uh, some generals in the Army say it's going to be next year. Uh, a lot of people say it's going to be in 2025. Now, nobody really knows. The point is that if China believes that it is impossible for them to have a unification, a peaceful unification with Taiwan uh, before 2030, they're going to decide that it's never going to happen at all because once they get into the 2030s, they're not going to have any means of making it happen by force. So China's in a position where if they're ever going to do it, they're going to have to do it relatively soon. Four years just like us. So next year, if uh, in 2024, the uh, Democrat Progressive Party wins the election, then, uh, you know, 50 years ago, incidentally, a very small number of Taiwanese considered themselves Taiwanese first. The vast majority of them either considered themselves Chinese only or considered themselves both Taiwanese and Chinese. Uh, but because of uh, the growth of, 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 of tai Taiwan as, as a separate economy and, and as a very rich economy more recently, it's now one of the richest economies in the world. Because of that, now what's happened is the vast majority of Taiwanese consider themselves only Taiwanese, whereas a smaller proportion consider themselves Taiwanese and Chinese, and almost no Chinese consider themselves, or Taiwanese rather, consider themselves Chinese only. So that's completely flipped. And as that is flipped, well, that's why the Democratic Progressive Party has become so powerful, both because they're progressive, but more importantly, because they want an independent Taiwan which, of course, China is not going to allow them to have. Well, that election is going to be in January. Uh, the Democratic Progressive Party is leading in the polls, and assuming they win, which maybe they won't, maybe, maybe the Chinese Nationalist Party will eke out a victory and uh, postpone things, or at least calm down the nerves a little bit, but that's not very likely. Right now, it looks like the Taiwan Democratic Progressive Party is going to retain power. China is going to look at that and say, now, wait a minute, they're going to be in power almost until 2030. And uh, you know, who's the American president right now? Well, that's Joe Biden. This is why I think it might happen in 2024. Is Joe Biden a good person to have, for China to have as the president of the United States should they decide to invade Taiwan? Let's ask ourselves that, is he? What would Trump do? if China decided to invade Taiwan. He might defend Taiwan. 
He might take serious economic throw serious economic sanctions against China. China's serious, by the way. China has told Japan, one of our allies in the region and an ally of, of Taiwan, China has told Japan, if you send one transport with one troop in the general vicinity of Taiwan, should we start an invasion, we will nuke your entire country. We'll fire a full broadside of nuclear missiles and kill every man, woman, child, every dog, every cat, everything on the islands, the mainland islands of Japan. So that's what Japan's looking at, is that China has told them, every one of you is dead if you even blink if we decide to invade Taiwan. That's what China's telling us. That's what they're telling the world, that we will kill every one of you if that's what it takes for us to take Taiwan. And they're telling the Taiwanese people that, you know, we're going to light you up, probably not nuclear, because they, they want the country, they want the they want the, the province. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's terrible. I, you know, if, if that actually happened, if a war between Taiwan and China actually happened, and it could happen as early as next year, yeah, that's that's the possibility for that to get out completely out of control is 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 very very large, and not just that, but what was I talking about earlier? Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Nvidia, Google, Tesla, the only companies holding up the S the S and P market. They need those microchips. They're trying to start building microchip capacity outside of Taiwan because they see. The problem here too, particularly Apple. Apple's toast if if something happens between China and Taiwan, if they lose access to that those chip makers. Uh, but if that happens, those countries are those companies are in dire straits because they won't they simply won't be able to do anything. Apple won't be able to build anything. Nvidia, same thing. They won't be able to build anything. Tesla cars without microchips. Good luck with that. Amazon server farm. Good luck with that. Microsoft's Xbox. Now these companies way too heavily invested. In, uh, in, in one place, and that one place is going away. So very, very scary situation there uh, with, with what's going on in China and Taiwan. And uh, that's going to happen. You know, we'll, we'll know who the winner of the election is January 13th, 2024. That's coming up. So when you look at what's happening right now in the economy, what we're heading toward with the M2 money supply dropping, with uh, having being flat right now, but only because the repo market started to drop instead. When you look at the Federal Reserve being between a rock and a hard place, where uh, in order to stop the M2 money supply from continuing to drop, all they can do are drop interest rates. Uh, but if they drop interest rates, that's going to cause inflation to come back up because we're still under inflationary pressures. So what do you do? Line what? What Biden's going to tell him to do, he's going to want them to do whatever is going to get him reelected, which means he doesn't want a recession, which means they will pull all the stops throughout 2024 to try to, at least until you know, November, to try to keep this thing going, try to keep Biden bucks rolling, to try to keep the Biden economy going forward so that he can run on how strong the Biden economy is. But uh, what did I tell you about those, about those CEOs? 80% of them believe that we will go into recession in 2024. They obviously know something the Federal Reserve doesn't, because I've never seen numbers like this before. 80% of CEOs say recession. 0% of economists in the Federal Reserve say recession. You look at other groups, like economists that are not in the Federal Reserve, they're evenly split. I forget exactly what that number is. It's somewhere around 50%, 48, 49, somewhere in there. So they're fairly evenly split. But the Federal Reserve says we are absolutely positive there will be no recession in 2024. The CEOs say we are almost equally positive that there will be a recession in 2024. Well, 
what those CEOs know, as I was saying earlier, is that they're just as in debt as the U.S. government. $22.5 trillion, 90% of, what, of, of which is, 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 uh, is callable right now. So what we're going to see is we're going to see people looking at these 2%, 3% interest rates that they're earning on these corporate bonds, which they can, they can call at any time. All of a sudden, these corporate bonds are paying 5 6 7%. They're going to say, you know what? I'm not keeping these bonds. I don't care if you give me my money back or if you give me another bond at a higher rate, but I want my money back. And the companies, they don't have the money. Not only don't they have the money, they don't have any means of getting the money. In a recession in particular, all of this is going to happen at once. All of this is going to happen at once. The uh, Federal Reserve, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to cold, I apologize. The Federal Reserve is going to try to prevent the M2 money supply from going down by dropping rates. That's going to kick off. It's, the whole, it's all going to hit at once, people. It's all going to hit at once. And uh, frankly, I don't see any way to stop it. But I do see an opportunity to stop the broadcast for a moment and give you a word from our sponsors. So it's a word from our sponsors. We will be right back. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within, supporting your immune and respiratory systems, and regulating your inflammatory response. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global Healing giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high stress on the go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud for 25% off. 
world-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Malcolm at Eight, the voice of a nation. I'm Wally Garno from the producer team. And uh, the first half of the show, we talked about why I think the economy is going to go into a recession in 2024. Why I think a key moment there is in January of 2024. And why I think China, potential war with China and Taiwan, creates economic headwinds going long beyond that and why uh, the Chinese economy is going to fall off a cliff in the 2030s. I want to talk in the first part of the second half of the show about why I'm worried about China's economy even as early as next year. And uh, when we finish talking about China and all the economic stuff, I've got this poll from Harvard that I just have to bring up. when When I bring this up, you're going to think I'm talking about the Hitler Youth. But no, I'm talking about America's college and military age I don't want to say children, they're adults, but very young adults, 18 to 24. So here we are, get back into it, and uh, second half of the show. So China's economy is in big trouble even right now. Their their economy grew because of free market reforms, but over the last few years, Xi Jinping has decided that there's too much freedom in China. He needs to start curtailing those uh, those freedoms, and uh, so they started to move more toward a command economy. Uh, the freedoms that they do have are now driven by or curtailed by social credit scores. Uh, social credit scores like having a credit card, where except it's also an ID card for getting on buses, for travel, for all kinds of things. Whether or not you can go to a stadium or a, or, or a theater. And uh, your credit score is based on, or your social credit score is based on how good of a citizen the Chinese Communist Party thinks that you are. So if you're buying the wrong things, your credit score suffers. If you say the wrong things, your credit score really suffers. If you vote for the wrong people, your credit score suffers. If you if you stray away from your house further than they want you to, your credit score suffers. And then they can use your social credit score to limit your ability to buy things, to to make it, if they want, so you can't buy anything, to limit your ability to travel, to decide what kind of of, of homes you can live in or what kind of apartments you can live in, to decide what kind of jobs you can have, uh, to control the people. And this complete reversal of any kind of economic or personal freedom in China is undoing all of the free market reforms that allowed their economy to begin to grow in the first place. So when you're growing because of free market reforms, you take the free market reforms away, that's a problem. Even more than that, though, their economy has been growing almost entirely on a bubble. There are cities in China, many of them, uh, the size of Chicago, that not a single person will ever live in. They were built simply so people could buy apartments. People buy apartments in these buildings that will never have plumbing, they'll never have electricity, they'll never have doors or windows. And uh, and uh, the money for that, that came into that was then used to, to fund more buildings and and in more of these of these these Chicago-sized cities that are, are literal ghost towns. 
the whole their whole economy it was largely built in a debt-fueled bubble. Now, being a communist country, they can make bubbles grow a lot bigger than a capitalist economy can before they burst, and they can keep the bubbles. No, they've got tools we don't have. Just by nature of being a a, a communist country that that can do things, the government can do things that our government simply cannot do. Uh, but when you look at the size of the Chinese economy. If you look at purchasing power parity, some people would say their economy is already larger than ours, and there are ways you can measure an economy to make that argument. But if you look at it in terms of how you would for financial health, such as the ability to cover a large debt bubble, you would say that their economy is currently about half the size of the U.S. economy, and their debt bubble is very similar to the one that we had in 2008, except that it's at least four times the size, and that's using their official numbers. You can't trust China's official numbers. They lie about that sort of thing. So we have to assume that it's bigger than that. But let's, let's, let's be conservative and say that their official numbers are about right and that it's only about four times the size of our economy in 2000, of our bubble in 2008. Now, they've got an economy that is maybe half the size of what our economy was in 2008 with a, with a, a bubble that is four times the size of what our bubble was in 2008. And you saw what happened to us in 2008. You saw what happened to us in 2008. That brought our economy right down to its knees. What do you think this is going to do to theirs? Of course, the question is, when's the bubble going to burst? That's a very good question. I, I can't answer that. It's very it's easy to see when there's a bubble out there. Uh, but economists like Paul Krugman, they, they don't study how bubbles get created in the first place. Paul Krugman studies why bubbles burst. So he's living in the bubble, if you will, trying to figure out how to keep the thing going. And uh, economists like Paul Krugman, uh, you might say he's pound, you might say he's uh, uh, penny wise and pound foolish. Uh, you might say that he is, uh, that he's, you might say that he is, you might say that he has, uh, you might say that he has technical knowledge about economics, but not tactical knowledge about how to use economics in an economy or what econ what an economy is for or, or how to run an economy. Uh, but he's not stupid. He's just very, very misguided. I would say he's a short-term thinker rather than a long-term thinker. And short-term thinkers can think inside of a bubble because they're not worried about what happens on the other end of the bubble. Whereas a long-term thinker is thinking, why do we live in bubbles in the first place? But anyway, uh, people like that. Every time a bubble bursts, they figure out new ways to keep the bubble going longer. And there's no way to tell when a new bubble is going to burst. We've got bubbles in our economy also. I would say the cost of health care is a bubble. College, obviously, is a bubble. That, that what it seems is starting to deflate. Hopefully, it doesn't just completely burst. Hopefully, it deflates over time. But the college bubble does seem to be deflating, where more people are losing are losing faith in our university system. And, and that couldn't happen soon enough. But anyway, China's bubble at least four times what ours was. Their economy no more than half the size. And uh, that's a problem. But you need a catalyst because uh, it's usually there's some kind of a catalyst that actually causes the bubble to burst at a given point in time. And we can say, well, what's the catalyst for China? Well, I would say ocean shipping. That's probably the, the biggest one. Not ocean shipping, but what ocean shipping represents for China. Before the pandemic... Most companies were doing a lot of business with China. Uh, a lot of manufacturing, the majority of manufacturing, well, not the majority of manufacturing, but a tremendous amount of manufacturing for both England and the United States took place in China. Uh, the pandemic made China look like a less than stable trading partner. And as a consequence, a lot of that manufacturing has been pulled back. As a matter of fact, if you look at global shipping, 
the global shipping industry overall is down about 20%. And that's because if, you're, if, if companies start building those products in the United States and Europe again, instead of building them in China, they don't need to ship them across the oceans. So a tremendous reduction in manufacturing within China is causing, uh, it has to be causing massive shocks to their economy. You know, they don't tell us exactly what's happening, but it has to be causing massive shocks within their economy. Plus, you still have the ongoing COVID uh, pandemic problems that they're having. They've made some big mistakes in terms of their handling of COVID, locking down entire cities, all kinds of crazy things, locking people in factories instead of sending them home and locking, all kinds of crazy things. But their economy is teetering on the edge anyway, and then you start throwing in shocks like uh, like what, like, like the, loss of, the loss of manufacturing and the fact that they're no longer considered such a cheap place to do manufacturing anymore anyway. But a lot of the manufacturing jobs are now going to places like Vietnam that are even cheaper than China. So they're no longer such a, a poor place or a, a, a cheap place to get manufacturing done anyway. And companies are finally getting sick of having all of their intellectual property lost. That was another thing that really caused a, a big drive in China's economy. Uh, as a golfer, I can tell you my dad used to have a set of Ping Zing 2s, and then he, he found out that he could buy uh, a, an identical pair of, I forget what the clubs were called, but they were a knockoff of Ping's, of the Ping Zing 2 line. And they were, exa- they were identical to them. My dad found out is that they were made with the Ping molds in the same factory that makes the Ping's, but they're identical. Uh, he had he had at that point he started getting clones of all kinds of clubs. He eventually went back to the real things, but he was for for a number of years he was using clones of uh, of uh, the King Cobra made by Titleist, the Pings. You know, all, all, every time he would change clubs for a few years, they were Chinese knockoffs, and uh, those knockoffs were so much like the original clubs that it started to really dig into the market share of American companies and uh, the golf companies, I believe, a lot of them have come back to the United States simply because they were sick of seeing all of their product lines getting knocked off by knockoffs that were almost identical, virtually identical to the originals. You know, instead of a, instead of a Cobra, a King Cobra, you get a King Viper and things like that. But the same molds, the same plant, all they do is uh, they, they change the dye enough that it's got a different name on the back or, or you know, just, just the branding changes. It's the exact same club. So, a lot of American manufacturers have finally woken up to the fact that they're getting robbed blind of their intellectual property and that the long-term cost of that, even the medium-term cost of that, vastly outweighs any benefit. And also countries have begun to recognize the loss of intellectual property, intellectual theft, as a major issue in terms of defense work and defense contracts. And uh, you look at China's military, the, 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 the vast rapid growth in, and the, the modernization of its military. That was largely made possible by stealing military secrets from our defense contractors, in some cases from our government itself. Uh, you look at that, then you look at you know Joe Biden, who who took uh, tens of millions of dollars from China and, and bribes through his son as president of the United States, and it, that's just a terrible situation. But anyway, the loss of manufacturing jobs in China is creating economic shocks. The the ongoing problems they've had with their dealing of of uh, of the pandemic and uh, and with the aftershocks of that and and just China's it's a basket case right now and that that has to be causing massive problems to their economy which could cause problems as early as next year. And that's also scary, you know, we're talking about the possibility of war with Taiwan. Well, if you have to hold on to power but your economy is faltering and you believe that you'll be overthrown or stabbed in the back by the next communist behind you, if your economy falters and the people start to get scared, 
and you start to clamp down too much, you know, if you're afraid of being thrown out, one of the things you could do to try to rally people around you, you know, war is a great way to rally the troops. You circle the wagons, you fight off the guys that are attacking you. That's a great, great way to try to rally the country around you again. And China has been promising to reunify with Taiwan forcibly if necessary since Taiwan, since the People's Republic of China, the government of the Republic of China moved to Taiwan during the Chinese Civil War, which, again, technically is still going on. So China's got every reason to potentially invade Taiwan earlier than they were originally planning. I think they originally planned to do it in 2025, which is why most of the, a, a lot of people in the military think that's going to be the year. Uh, could be earlier. So, you know, who knows? Point is, their economy is a basket case, and uh, it, it may not even survive until 2025. It could start collapsing at any time. Uh, it could be at war with, all kinds of things could go wrong with China next year. So, China is is in dire, dire straits. And that's that's the bottom line there. And uh, that, of course, will cause economic ripples throughout the world if, if something were to really, really bad were to happen to China. So just one more reason to think that 2024 is going to be a rough year for the United States. I actually probably welcome a recession in the United States if it meant that China's economy collapses and that we become the sole superpower again. I would probably actually welcome that because uh, China is, I can't imagine a world led by China. You know, you can say what you will about the English Empire, but England did a reasonably good job of, of, of giving freedom to the world. Everywhere the Union Jack went up, so too did the Magna Carta. And there may have been a lot of racism coming from the British people. Racism, of course, terrible, terrible thing. But the Magna Carta was not a terrible, terrible thing. The ideals of the Magna Carta were not a terrible, terrible thing. And it led to the creation of a country on pure Enlightenment values, which is, of course, the United States. It was the Enlightenment values, free market economics, the freedom of the people that made us the richest and most powerful, most prosperous nation in human history. Like a margin that is, is it's incredible. If you would have told General Cornwallis during the Revolutionary War that within 200 years, the United States of America would rival all of Europe as the most powerful nation on earth, be the most powerful nation rivaling all of Europe, he would have laughed at you. And yet, it actually only took about 100 years. By 200 years, you know, not even close. So absolutely crazy what, what, what happened, and, and here we are reaping the benefits of that. But it turns out, and yes, now I'm segueing to that Harvard poll, that Harvard last week did a poll of people 18 to 24, and uh, I'm just going to read you some of the results of this, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, it turns out that people 18 to 24 in the United States, not just college, not just college kids at Harvard, not just college kids, period, but just nationwide, people 18 to 24, in college, out of college, never went to college, whatever. Uh, they believe that white people are oppressors. 79% believe that. Uh, that Jews are oppressors. 67% believe that. Jews being oppressors. That October 7th was genocidal. 66% believe, yes, that Hamas was trying to commit genocide against the Israeli people, against Jewish people, when they invaded on October 7th. Here's a crazy one for you, though. What percentage of 18 and 24-year-olds do you think believe that the genocide of the Jews within Israel is a good idea, that it's okay to kill all the Jews in Israel? 18 to 24 Americans, 58% believe that it is okay to kill all of the Jews in Israel. Uh, what percent do you think say that it's okay to call for genocide of Jews in the United States? Now, just to be clear, I'm not the, the poll didn't ask, should we kill all the Jews in the United States? It just asked, is it okay to say that we should kill all the Jews in the United States? Not quite the same thing as actually doing it, but it's getting close. 
Well, the percentage of children or young adults, 18 to 24, that say that it's okay to call openly for the genocide of Jews in the United States, 53%. More than half of America's kids, 18 to 24, according to a very recent Harvard poll, said it is okay to walk out on the street and openly call for genocide against Jews. How about Israel trying to avoid killing civilians? What percent of 18 to 24-year-olds in America believe that Israel is doing everything that it can to avoid killing civilians in the Gaza Strip? 70%. That one should be a little bit of a shocker. I'm guessing most of you thought that was going to be a low percent. What percent think that Israel should be wiped off of the face of the earth? By Israel, they mean the Jewish people in, the, in, in that area of the world. They don't, mean, they don't mean the land, obviously. You're not going to wipe the land off the face of the earth. They mean the Israeli Jewish people. So what percentage of 18 and 24-year-olds in America today believe that Israel should be wiped off, wiped off the face of the earth? Ladies and gentlemen, that is 51%. More than a half of American children, I almost want to say children, more than a half of American young adults between the age of 18 and 24 believe that Israel should be wiped off the face of the earth. Incidentally, when you go to 30 to 40-year-olds, to it's not that much better. Here's one for you. What percent of American young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 believe that only certain races should be allowed to attend college or be hired for jobs. Again, what percent of young Americans, 18 to 24, believe that only certain races in America should be allowed to attend college or be hired for jobs? Ladies and gentlemen, it's 80%. 80% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 24, in Harvard, in other colleges, not in college, never went to college, doesn't matter, 18 to 24-year-olds in America today, 80% believe that only certain races should be allowed to go to college or have a job. Now, of course, they want the races that they could do that to be the minorities, the ones that they believe white people have been oppressing. 79% believe that all white people are oppressors. I, I saw this and and my, my blood ran cold. You know this is these are all the major numbers in there. It was a large poll that asked a lot of things. These were the questions related to genocide against Jews, related to Hamas, uh, related to racism. They also asked who are you going to vote for? Are you a Democrat or Republican? They also asked other age groups. It was just it was not just eighteen to twenty four year olds, but the news story is what eighteen to twenty four year olds said that white people are oppressors. Eight and ten say that that Jews are oppressors, roughly the same number, uh, that October 7th was genocidal, and yet it's okay, genocide against the Jews in Israel is okay, that's roughly two-thirds, 58% of the genocide, two-thirds that uh, Hamas was committing genocide. Uh, that it's okay to call for genocide against Jews, 53%, more than half, uh, that Israel is trying to avoid killing civilians was more than two-thirds, 70%, and yet more than half believe that Israel, in spite of the fact that they're doing everything they can to avoid killing civilians and defending itself against Hamas, more than half think they should still be wiped out the face of the earth. And finally, 80% believe that only certain races should be allowed to go to college or have a job. People, I... This is, this is the kind of thing that you would expect to see in a poll of the Hitler Youth. 
You would expect to see large numbers of the Hitler youth. They wouldn't say white people are oppressors. They would say Jews are oppressors. But American children lump Jewish people in with white people, which, you know, they are kind of, that's, that's, that's fair. I would say that Jewish people are, are they're, they're European for the most part. Uh, but they are a separate ethnicity, and, and they, they certainly, we, they sh we shouldn't be oppressing anybody. Now, this is the United States of America. This is a country where, where, where it's supposed to be a melting pot. Our national motto is E Pluribus Unum, which stands for out of many, one. So we have many people coming in from many parts of the world, all looking for the American dream, and they become one people and American people. And what our kids are telling us is, no, the national motto should be E Unum Pluribus. Out of one many, out of one unified American people, we're going to break you all up into a bunch of different classes. And since we believe some groups have been oppressing others in the past, guess what? Time to turn the table. We are now going to repress those groups, and it's your turn, and you need 200 years of slavery, you need 400 years of oppression, and we're just going to beat the living shit out of you because that's what we think you've been doing to other people, and our racism is better than your racism. We're going to beat hate with better hate. And I, I see this, and... I know some people felt that way because you know we see we see people talking you see people talking about that you know you see people on the view you see people on MSNBC you see these idiots on Twitter and you see these YouTube videos of people you hear about these books in the newspaper all these crazy things but 80% holy smokes and 18 to 24 it's it's not like these are eighty year olds who are about to who are about to pass away. This is not a generation that's going to be gone in a few years. These are people that are going to lead the country someday. These are our future doctors. These are our future lawyers. These are our future teachers. These are our future college professors. They're certainly not going to be good at doing much else. So, it, it, this is our military age people. As I said, this is we're talking about people from staff sergeant down and from captain down, enlisted officer rank. We're talking about the bulk of our armed forces. If shit hits the fan, whose side are they going to be on? I mean, seriously, this is this is the scariest poll I have ever seen in my life. It is as if our colleges are rebuilding. It's as if they are rebuilding the Hitler Youth right here in America. And not, not that's, that's what it's like. That, that's essentially what it is. You wouldn't expect you would expect the Hitler Youth to say that Jews are oppressors sixty seven percent. You would expect them to say that. You would expect more than half of the Hitler Youth to say that it's okay to kill Jews, that it's okay to openly call for genocide against the Jews, that it's okay to wipe Israel, the Jewish country, off the face of the earth. You would totally expect that from the Hitler Youth. How many of you expect it from America's youth? And not just America's youth that are a particular group that were pulled out and, and sent to indoctrination. No, them too. But we're talking about all of America's youth. This isn't just some... some this is everybody. This is... I, I, I'm telling you, I saw that. It made my blood boil. It scared the hell out of me. And... Uh, when I saw it, I knew I had to share it with you because our colleges are broken. Our university system is absolutely broken. I don't even know if we can fix it. When it gets this bad, when this is what our universities are cranking out, you know, at some point we just have to pull the funding entirely and say, guys, I'm sorry, you screwed up. Uh, we're going to find a new way to do universities. Maybe we'll use the buildings. But there isn't a single goddamn one of you that has a job. Every college professor, gone. Every administrator, gone. Every janitor, gone. 
you got to do what I would have done the Detroit Lions if I would have been hired instead of Brad Holmes. I would have fired everybody because the culture of the organization is broken. Not anymore. Brad Holmes is a genius. He brought the Lions back, hopefully for good. I'm a fan of the Lions, just in case you're wondering. I'm running out of time here, so let me just sum up real quick. Uh, great show. I, ho I hope you enjoyed the show. Well, not enjoyed the show because the subject matter isn't very good. Uh, we talked about what's going to happen to the economy, in my opinion, in 2024. Talked about China and why we have some very, very strong headwinds even after 2024. Why China might not survive until after 2024. Why their economy might go down the toilet long with ours. Far worse than ours, but, but we're going to hit recession. They're going to hit worse than that. Why that might happen as early as next year. Uh, and finally, these these incredibly horrific poll results coming out of a very recent uh, Harvard poll that was conducted last week. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the time. If we're going to fix these kinds of problems, this is the time. We have got to get loud, and we've got to get we've got to get out there and get active, people. So it is time to get loud, America. Mm -hmm.